0: Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Wildlife Outdoor Pro Aaron Keller. And joining us over the phone out of Las Vegas is one of our wildlife diversity biologists, Christy Klinger. Thank you so much, Christy, for talking to us today.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. Yeah, thanks.
0: And one of the reasons we were inspired to give you a call and do a podcast with you is we just keep seeing all of these news stories on. um, Well, first off, the grasshoppers in Las Vegas this year—they're crazy, just like infesting the area. Yeah, pretty
2: crazy videos on the news and YouTube and everywhere else. So
1: yeah, yeah, definitely, it's been it's been a crazy year down here. I've lived in Las Vegas for over 22 years and. I've never seen anything quite like this outbreak of of grasshoppers that we had this spring and summer.
0: Interesting. And then, well, one thing that really helps, and this is an example of the types of bug populations we could have if it wasn't for bats. So we wanted to talk a little bit about bats today and some other species and how um, these bug populations impact them. But let's go ahead and start with bats. And um, they really do help control these populations.
1: Definitely. So we've got 23 species of bats in Nevada, which is a really great number. And bats in general are a huge controller of pest insects. It's probably one of their number one benefits. Their ability to consume insects, especially agricultural-type pest insects, on a nightly basis saves uh, farmers and even us as consumers millions of dollars every year in uh, less needed insecticides and pesticides and things like that.
0: And, I mean, is that the type of bug populations we would have, just like these swarms of insects if it wasn't for bats, like what we've been seeing on the news? Well, that's, that's
1: probably true to some extent. Bats tend to be, different species of bats tend to specialize on different types of insects as their favored prey. They are pretty opportunistic, and they'll take just about anything presented to themselves. But a lot of species are very specific or or a little bit more discerning. And a lot of our bats here in southern Nevada, they're really looking for moths and beetles. And um, uh, while certain species of bats can consume like up to half or sometimes close to their entire body weight in a single evening of foraging, uh, oftentimes it's not the the real small insect, or I'm sorry, Oftentimes, it's not the really small mosquito-sized insects, but some of the larger ones, which is making this grasshopper outbreak a little interesting to see how the bats respond to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, how, how do you think they'd respond, or how will they respond to it?
1: Definitely, certain species are probably doing better than others, and I'll give you an example, and that would be the pallid bat, Pallid bat is a really interesting and unique bat species that we have here, and they specialize on large, ground dwelling arthropods. So think like um, grasshoppers, uh, even scorpions, which does homeowners here in Las Vegas a huge service to have a bat that's actually gleaning scorpions out of their yard. That's uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, So the pallid bats in general uh, are the first bat that comes to my mind as really benefiting from... Uh, the the grasshopper outbreak. But there's others, certainly,
2: that uh, are feasting right now. Right. And so one of the other reasons we wanted to talk to you is you did this really good interview with Fox 5 News, and we posted it on our Facebook page. And there was some really cool facts about bats that they're not just, you know, bloodsuckers that come out at Halloween time, right? There's a bunch of other benefits to having bats around. And that, what, a quarter I'm trying to remember the fact now. Is a quarter of all mammals are bats?
1: That's that's correct. Twenty five percent of all mammals on the planet are bats, which is astounding. That is crazy.
2: Yeah, you and think of all the yeah. animals that are out there. No, I
1: don't think anyone there. realizes that twenty
2: five percent of them are bats. 25% yeah, and, and the of reason mammals.
1: most Americans don't realize that is because bats occupy a, an interesting niche ecologically. It's a group of animals that are active mostly at night, so we're not going to readily see them except for when they're foraging at dusk or dawn. And for the most part, we can't hear them because they echolocate above the range of human hearing. So you've got these animals that are active at night, and we can't hear them, and we can't see them. And so there's a lot of misunderstanding about bats and a lot of myths that surround them, um, especially like rabies. Often people think every bat is rabid, which couldn't be further from the truth. And and while there are vampire species in Central and South America, we don't have any here in Nevada, which is good. But bats are really interesting, and they're understudied because they're hard to study because of the niche they occupy. Think of during the daytime you can go out and you can see and hear birds singing and you can see them in the trees. Bats are occupying the same space and doing the same thing at night that the birds do during the day. So we can't see them and we can't hear them, which leads to a lot of misunderstanding.
0: Interesting. They are like the coolest little creatures, really. You know, like you said, they are very under underappreciated. Just say yeah, and
1: another interesting thing about bats is a lot of people refer to them as like flying mice. And size-wise, they are quite comparable to a mouse, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. You've got your average house mouse or deer mouse that has a lifespan of maybe one to three years and has several litters of mice throughout its lifetime, whereas bats are very long-lived. They can live up to 30 years or more, and they tend to have only one young, a pup, which is what baby bats are called, one young per year. So they're long-lived. They have a low reproductive rate, and um, it makes them very important to, to protect them because when there are declines in bat populations, whether it's regional Local or more widespread. It takes a long time for those bats to recover. Interesting. What were you gonna say, Keller?
2: Um, I was just curious. Are there any known, I guess, bat colonies down there that that people could go observe or like maybe watch them do what they do?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, bats are pretty cool and. You know, people think that bats only occur, like, out in the surrounding desert. You know, they think, oh, bats are out at Red Rock, or they're only in caves or mines. And that couldn't be further from the truth, because bats are living in town in Las Vegas. They might be roosting in your palm tree right now, and at night they might be drinking out of your swimming pool and consuming insects in your yard. So bats are all around us. And while different species of bats tend to cluster up and form colonies at different times of the year, not all do that. However... Um, There is a a fairly healthy population of Mexican free-tailed bats that are occupying part of the parking garage at McCarran Airport here in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Yeah, it so happens that when they built that parking garage, some of the expansion joints were just perfect for what bats are looking for in nature as far as a roosting location, and they took advantage of it. The good thing is that this colony at the parking garage at McCarran is, in the employee parking area, so the general public coming and going aren't necessarily going to know about them or be bothered by them, maybe by the their droppings, guano, and things like that. And the other great thing is that McCarran Airport is very tolerant of the colony. They haven't tried to evict them. And if you have the opportunity and you're at the parking garage at dusk, you'll often be treated to an outflight of these bats as they exit the parking garage and go out to forage for the evening and it's it's pretty spectacular if you have a chance
0: that is awesome i would love to see something like that and i'm glad it's good to hear that the airport is appreciating them and keeping them there most
1: definitely yes
2: so are there is there or would it be good for the public to make structures or make things to attract bats to their property um
1: there's different opinions on that. There's a lot of um, bat boxes, commercial produced bat boxes that can be purchased and any anybody can purchase one and put it up on their property. But there's a lot of considerations to think about. You have to know where to put it. You can only put it on certain aspects of your house if it heats up too much because it's on, say, a, a south facing side of the house or, or garage or barn or whatever it is. Uh, it's not going to be suitable for bats. Right. Um, the other thing is Bats produce guano, and so you have to be um, ready to accept the fact that if you have a bat box, you're going to have guano that piles up. And then while not all bats are rabid by any means, less than one-tenth of one percent of bats tend to be rabid at any given time, that potential is still there. And so I tend to discourage people from having bat boxes for those reasons. And also that's really particular, and they want things a certain way. And if that bat box just isn't quite right, it will never get used.
0: Gotcha. And what should people do? Say they do have a bat that comes into their home, or I mean, you said they use things like parking structures and different things like that. So what is the best thing? Because we want to, we want to, you know, we don't want to hurt them. We want them here. We need them. So what is the best thing for a homeowner to do? Say one comes to their property and it's not wanted.
1: Sure. Yeah. So if you're a homeowner here in, in Nevada and you f- go outside and you happen to see a bat that's like attached to the side of your house, it's, it's roosting there. Chances are it's, it's harmless and it's just chilling out there for the day and come nightfall, it'll be gone and you'll probably never see that bat again. It's called day roosting. And that's, that's very harmless and should be tolerated by most homeowners in my opinion. On the flip side, if you've got bats inside your house, whether it's a sing, single bat or, or more than one, then um, you need to get it out for sure. If you've got more than one bat in the house, it means that there's some place where they're gaining access, some small little hole or crevice that you're probably not aware of that the bats know about, and that's how they're gaining access. And there's a lot of professional companies out there that specialize in doing bat exclusion work because you'd want to find where they're gaining entry, um, evict the bats, and then close that access point off. Also, if you happen to encounter a bat in your house, it's best not to handle it. Um, if you absolutely have to, make sure that you're doing it wearing leather gloves. And um, if you happen to see a bat, say, inside or outside, most likely outside, that seems to be acting strange, and by that I mean it's active during the day, it's on the ground crawling around, that could be indicative of a sick bat, and that should be treated with caution. And again, never, never handled, especially with bare hands.
0: Is that a situation where they should call us? They,
1: they could definitely call us, yes. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Well, good to know. Um, we are pretty much done. I'm, I'm sad that we're done talking about bats because they are so awesome. But we're running out of time for the first half of the show. But we're going to keep talking about bugs and another type of species they impact. So we will be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. You on. You on. Long gone. You on. if you enjoy listening to our podcast leave us a review on itunes and soundcloud for more information on hunting fishing boating and all things wildlife go to endow.org now back to the show Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today, we are talking about bugs and how they're impacting some of our species, especially on a year like this. And we have Christy Klinger joining us over the phone. She's one of our um, diversity biologists. And Christy, you have been doing yellow-billed cuckoo surveys And they're actually, you're noticing a difference this year because of all those grasshoppers we've been seeing all over the news and videos, and some people have actually experienced dealing with the grasshoppers.
1: Yeah, it's definitely been a crazy year down here in southern Nevada for grasshoppers. You can't really look at the news without seeing somebody talking about it. And um, indeed, it's been the the outbreak of, of pallid wing grasshoppers, This year, down here, has been a definite boon to the yellow-billed cuckoo, which is a a bird that specializes in eating grasshoppers.
0: So tell us a little bit about the surveys that you do annually for the yellow-billed cuckoo.
1: Sure. The yellow-billed cuckoo is an Endangered Species Act listed bird. It's listed as threatened. And it received that designation mostly because of declining availability of its preferred breeding habitat, which tends to be riparian areas with some larger cottonwood-type trees and some some open clearings. So, the bird had the bird. The yellow-throated cuckoo is actually fairly common in the Midwest and the eastern United States, but in the western part of the country, the western distinct population segment is the the section of birds or the group of birds that are listed. And they're very patchy and very uncommon, and we just don't find them very often. I've been conducting surveys for yellow-billed cuckoos for about 15 years now, and in a typical year I get maybe one to three detections, meaning I hear a yellow-billed cuckoo respond to me, uh, to the, to, to my survey. And uh, this year has been just a banner year. We've got cuckoos detected at... Um, over a dozen sites in Southern Nevada alone. Crazy.
2: Yeah, I pulled up a map during the break because I knew we'd be talking about it, and there's just one little pink circle, and it's basically right on the Las Vegas or Clark County, kind of like that very southern tip. So, I mean, they are? not. Yeah, they're not very common around the they're rest th- of the they're state They're not at all. common. So I in mean,
1: Southern Nevada, I get them throughout Clark County, um, around Las Vegas, over towards Mesquite, and then up into Peranigate Valley up by Alamo. There is... Um, Some suitable habitat in northwestern Nevada along the Truckee River and the Lahontan um, Recreational Area.
2: Right, just migrant pattern that comes through there.
1: Yeah, we're not sure if they're migrants or maybe they actually are trying to set up territories. When it comes to cuckoos, they're a really difficult bird to study because they're very elusive, they're uncommon, and they don't want to be found. They're, They're very watchful and wary birds so it's 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 difficult to find them first of all. and then um, then they have a very odd breeding behavior in that they they arrive late on their breeding ga- grounds compared to to other breeding birds. And then they have a very rapid breeding cycle where it, for example, it only takes a cuckoo seventeen days from the time an egg is laid until the time that fledgling leaves the nest, which is incredibly rapid when you compare that to, say, other, similar birds that take about 35 days for that same amount so they're pretty rapid breeders and they're hard to find so there may have been there, there may be more nesting happening than we're aware of just because they're they're difficult species to, to
2: track and then when you do your surveys because it's what i was reading is that they're basically silent during the day so your surveys at night then
1: no, that, I'm not so sure where that fact came from okay. because that's not really the case. Um, okay. they, they're pretty, they are vocal. Again, they're, they're a little bit wary, and so if they sense somebody in a, like an intruder or just a bird watcher or surveyor in their area, they'll, they'll, t- they'll tend to quiet, quiet down a bit. But okay. they also have a pretty distinctive call, and so how I survey for them is that I walk through their preferred habitat and I have a little speaker and I play a broadcast of their call, and then I wait to hear if a bird responds back. It's it's kind of innate in them that they want to call back if they hear all right. on specific. And so that's how we survey for them. So if you know what to listen for, uh, they're, they're pretty they're, – they're not that difficult to, to locate if they're there. it pres-
0: nice to have all these – I mean, for your work, to have all these grasshoppers then that are bringing them in and making them easier to locate?
1: Yeah, this is really crazy. And this uh, – In my opinion, the reason why we have had such an increase in cuckoo detections and um, the number of survey sites where they've been detected already this year, in my opinion, is due to this outbreak of the Pallid Wayne grasshoppers, which the outbreak of the grasshoppers is a result of a very wet spring that we had in Nevada. And um, the yellow-billed cuckoo, they specialize on these large insects. So think like caterpillars, katydids, crickets and grasshoppers grasshoppers make up a big part of their diet so you have all these grasshoppers that suddenly had an outbreak here in uh, Las Vegas and southern Nevada and that I in my opinion has drawn a lot of cuckoos into the area this season and has caused the cuckoos to stay here during the breeding season
0: is that exciting since this is an endangered species or does it really mean anything just because it's only happening because of the
1: grasshoppers I think it's exciting. Again, I've been doing these surveys for a long time, and I've only had a handful of cuckoo detections, and I've only observed a cuckoo in the wild during my surveys maybe three times because they are so elusive and they don't want to be found. So for a year like this where we've had cuckoo detections and even confirmed nesting and successful breeding this year is just phenomenal. It's it's causing a lot more work for me, but it's exciting (laughs) work. It's very exciting. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking everybody else is running away from these swarms of grasshoppers and Christy's like going towards them yeah, so she All somewhere.
1: the way back in May while I was walking around doing different surveys as I'd walk through the habitat, I'd, grasshoppers were just being kicked up right and left and I even thought way back then, I'm like, wow, this is a crazy year for grasshoppers and then it about, took about three or four weeks and or, you know, a little bit more and it hit the news and just crazy, so. I kind of wondered if this might happen, and, and it's happening. I think the cuckoos are, are they're opportunistic, and they'll move into to areas when there's an abundance of, of insects like we have this year.
0: And like you said, people are running from them, but really, they're, they're not all bad, especially for wildlife lovers.
1: Think of, think of these grasshoppers as little, tiny, abundant protein packs. are <laughs> absolutely perfect for yellow-billed cuckoos
2: right and all sorts of different animals down there really i mean we look at these um not just grasshoppers but um kind of in central Nevada. there's quite a few mormon crickets that are making their way across the state which i would have to believe they're getting gobbled up by pretty much everything they come across
1: absolutely yeah and it's not just yellow bill cuckoos that are benefiting from these grasshoppers there's a lot of bird species that are having a really great um, foraging year this year because of them.
2: Yeah, they just gorge themselves on those swarms as they come through, (laughs) I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. It'd have to be pretty cool to watch that. I want to see it. Yeah. (laughs) I want to see it in action, (laughs) the birds coming down with the crickets.
2: Uh. Yeah, there was people that were on some of those viral videos that had tape measures and they were like pushing them into these mounds of grasshoppers like 12 inches tall or more
1: yeah just crazy The distribution of the grasshopper outbreak here in southern nevada was a little bit varied not not all areas of las vegas were inundated with what you saw in those viral videos but definitely definitely um a lot more grasshoppers than usual nice
2: are there what other species key into those are there any other that off the top of your head that key into those swarms like that
1: well, there's like I said, there's a number of other bird species that will take advantage of these, and then you know there's a handful of bat species that specialize, in these larger type insects, especially grasshoppers. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of critters out there benefiting from these little protein packs this year. Nice.
2: And yeah, I was um well one I was talking to one of my buddies and we were kind of watching the videos and then we had we can't, I went over to Ely last week and back and came across Mormon cricket uh, migration on the road it was they were just getting run over by all the cars but we were wondering about fish and how every year when those come through the the fish just gorge themselves on those crickets is that the same way with grasshoppers or do you know
1: uh, you know, I'm not a fisheries biologist, but right. <laughs> it would it would make sense if that's the case. I can certainly imagine. You know, these crickets are all over. I, it'd be interesting to see how the fishing has been out at Lake Mead,
2: recently. right?
1: And if if the anglers are seeing um, any effect from the the grasshoppers, yeah. That is, I bet these
0: will impact. This is this is not an expert opinion at all. <laughs> Let's clear that up. But um, I bet. I mean, it could make for good fishing and also good hunting for some of the upland game species. I would
2: imagine it's good for for all Definitely. those things yeah. in the it's food It's going to be
1: interesting to see how this plays out. I know. Um, as far as just general wildlife populations, it's, it's going to be very interesting. I'm very curious. And is
2: there a way, so nesting, I would imagine that nesting success would go up in years following this? or
1: Yeah, um, again, the yellow-billed cuckoo being a difficult bird to study, and we had not, prior to this year, we had not officially documented successful nesting of this species since the year 2001. And already this year, um, my a colleague of mine has documented a successful yellow-billed cuckoo nest, in the mesquite area, which is just crazy exciting for us bird nerds and biologists. Um, So I expect that there's probably additional nesting and breeding that's going on with the yellow billed cookies this year. It's just really difficult to find their nests. And that's also not to say that between this year and 2001, there hadn't been nesting. It's very possible. It just could have been nesting that went undetected by us. Right. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe you didn't notice, or could have been yeah, a lot they're of just that.
1: hard. But they're hard to find. It's a, a, cuckoo. Experts have given an estimate before. Something about it takes about 14 person days of nest searching to find a cuckoo nest. If you if you're pretty certain that they're breeding in a particular area, so they they hide their nests really well. If they sense somebody's in the area, they will deliberately not go to the nest for a while so that they don't draw attention to the nest. It's just one of those species that's a little bit frustrating to study. (laughs) It's It's making me really want to see one. Yeah, it's just amazing (sighs) when you get years like this.
2: Yeah, being a diversity biologist, you have to be pretty patient. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Well, Christy, you have been absolutely awesome. It's been fun talking about bugs and the different species that benefit from them. So thank you again for joining us. Again, it was my pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. Yeah,
2: thank you very much.
0: And that, we're out of time. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Thank you, everyone, for listening.